Hey listeners, one of our goals of this podcast is to build a vibrant community around the business of wine. We've been delivering compelling and educational content for two years. We have really appreciated the outreach and engagement from you, our dear listeners, and a number of you have asked how you can help support the show. We love making the show and keeping the quality high, so we decided to launch a Patreon account where you can get access to our full library of episodes with more benefits to come. We've set the contribution to $5 a month to encourage as many people as possible to participate. Go to patreon.com slash xchateau to sign up. We'll put a link in our show notes and on xchateau.com, and we'll be announcing new patrons with each episode. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your hosts, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we are going to be talking about the last choice that a winemaker has before a wine goes in the bottle. And we're going to be discussing DM Corks with Francois Margot, the director of sales for North America for DM. Francois, welcome to the episode. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I was wondering if you could give Peter and I a brief overview of your background and your time at DM. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a French guy. I studied agriculture engineering, and I also did a business school in Paris. That's my, uh, I would say, background for university. Then I joined wineries in Alsace, been working in the Alsace wine industry for about 15 years. That was my start. And I joined DM 20 years ago when DM was just starting, you know, with the first, first DM coming on the market. And I've been with the company ever since. I started basically selling DM in the northern countries, German-speaking countries. Since I'm from Alsace, you know, German is a, is a second language for me. And I step-by-step step took care of Europe, uh, eastern countries, and, uh, and now North America. So DM makes a very specific type of cork that's agglomerated and treated to have no cork taint in it and potentially better properties than natural cork. Can you give us a brief overview of the history of DM and its technology and how they're made? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's useful to get back to, to what cork is. Uh, cork is the bark of a tree. Uh, you know, it's been out there for centuries. It was used uh, at the very beginning. I think the first use of cork was for fishing nets just because it was uh, floating. <laughs> it's a very light material made of um, a honeycomb structure. So yes, it's floating. And the, the uh, you know the reason why it started to be used uh, for wine bottles? It started actually when the glass industry was able to produce a regular neck. So we could punch a piece of cork, compress it, and put it in the bottle on a regular basis. And the reason why cork is used to close bottle wine is because it's elastic. At the very beginning, it was the only reason. You compress that material, it rebounds, it closes the bottle of wine, and that's the, the only reason at the beginning was it was chosen to close a bottle of wine. And why this material specifically? It's because like any other material, this elasticity is going to go down over time. It's going to lose elasticity over time, like, like any other material, but it goes down very quickly. And some of the good cork can stay elastic for more than 30 years and do their job of aging wine. So it goes down slowly, you mean? Elasticity goes down slowly, and then it gets to a point where the cork is not elastic anymore. And your, your oxygen is going to go around the cork instead of through the cork. And then you lose your aging capacity. And so can you give us a brief overview of how DM is different from regular cork? Yeah. So when you punch a piece of cork and you put it in your bottle, the cork is going to rebound, close the bottle. But we noticed over time that depending on the bark of cork, you know, it's a piece of nature, it's the bark of a tree. And depending where you punch, each cork is going to be different. 
And it's going to be different in terms of the elasticity I was talking to you uh, about. You know, some corks are going to be very elastic for long aging. Some others are going to be pretty weak, going to be tired after a quick period of time. Some corks are going to let a lot of oxygen into the bottle. Some others not. And famous TCA, some corks are going to be tainted with, with molecules and some others not. So this punch cork is a great idea, but it's inconsistent. And each cork is going to be different. The idea of Diam is to create a consistent quality, a consistent cork, which we could rely on. So we have a consistent evolution of each bottle. And uh, so to get a consistent structure, the idea was to granulate. There is no way around granulation if you want to get a consistent structure. So the first thing is to granulate. But <laughs> a lot of companies have tried to granulate before us. The problem of granulation is any type of contamination that you will have in your bark somewhere, you spread it everywhere. So it means that the granulate structure is always tainted. So the start of this thing was to find a way to efficiently clean the cork. All cork sorting before that, before Diam, was based on measuring the cork or smelling or any type of sorting. Diam is totally different. Diam is cleaning. So we granulate the cork, we completely clean it, and we discovered in between that it's not only TCA. A cork taint is much more than TCA. There are, there are many molecules involved in, in a cork taint. Many potential molecules can be present in the cork on a natural basis and can taint the wine. So the first thing was to clean that granulate and then reconstruct it in a way that we could guarantee a consistent structure and a consistent oxygen ingress. So that's, that's what Diamet uh, did. And so from an inconsistent material, we produced not only a consistent structure of cork, but several corks now from which the winemaker can choose. So you can choose an edging potential and you can choose an amount of oxygen depending on your wine needs. And that's what Diam has achieved over the last 20 years. And so when you clean it, is it 100% of all the molecules are gone or is it just a very tiny amount that we can't perceive? 100% in chemistry, I don't think it exists. You can, you can never say 100%, you know, traces are always there. So what we work with is we work with the best equipment that is able to measure the, those molecules. So the molecules we're talking about are mainly the anisole molecule. Those, those molecules are very uh, volatile and can impact the wine at very, very, very uh, little amounts. We're talking nanograms, you know, <laughs> you take grams, nine zeros uh, after the comas, and you have nanograms. So it's very, very small quantities. So we work with the gas chromatograph, GCMS, that can measure today that the best technology can measure down to 0.3 nanograms of TCA, TBA, or any type of an anisole. And so we are giving the guarantee that each of our products is non-detectable in all those anisole molecules that we monitor. So we'd love to understand the value proposition of DM versus other types of corks and other closures. And I think the best place to start is probably with cost. So obviously you have DM corks that range in pricing from, you know, that have different OTR rates from a five to a 30 year. I'm curious on the cost of those. How should someone think about the cost of those versus a natural cork or a punch cork or other technical corks or plastic corks or screw caps? What are the real differences in terms of what a winemaker should think about when they're making this decision? Well, in terms of cost, it's very difficult to compare with punch cork, for example. Punch cork, uh, you know, are sorted on the look because if it looks nice, you have, you have little better chances that it's going to have a nice structure. So you can have very, very different prices based on the look and the risk of TCA are still the same. So we're comparing with punch cork has really no, no real interest. We, we have corks from 
I don't know, 10 to 80, to 80 cents. But the real value proposition is not here. It's not about the price of a cork. You know, it's not saving 10 cents on a bottle of wine. The real value is where? Is about not tainting your wine and guaranteeing a great aging. What is, in your opinion, the, the percentage of bottle that are either going to be tainted or that are not going to evolve properly if you use another solution? That's the real question. Because then we're talking about full bottle of wines with the full value, full retail value. So that's the first thing. Consider 3% three, 3 of your bottles of wines are going to be tainted. All right. You have the real value right away. No more tainted bottle. So that's 3% of your bottles with a real price. And second thing, what about your brand? If you're delivering a bottle of wine that is not correct to the consumer, that's going to affect the value of your brand. Right there. Jam is here to ensure that each consumer is going to get the bottle of wine in the state the winemaker wants it to. And that's the real value proposition. So I get that it's hard to compare to punch cork because they're pricing on looks and length and things like that. I'm curious, so in terms of for DM though, for to understand the pricing for the five to 30, like how should someone think about that in terms of obviously the volume that they buy matters as well, but the average yeah. cost is, did you say 10 to 80 cents? Is that what you said per... 10 to 80 cents is about the range, and it goes from the cheaper cork is going to be for quick rotation wines, where we guarantee uh, basically um, a short-term elasticity, to the top of the range is where we guarantee that the cork gonna, is going to keep its properties for 30 years or more. And so we have a range of product that is based on aging capacity. And so what's different there is the, is it the binding agent that, or the amount of the amount of pulverized cork? Like in terms of how should someone think about that? What's actually different fundamentally between a five and a 30? Because I know yeah. that the, it's the elasticity, but I'm also assuming that's the OTR. And I'm wondering, what is the vehicle for that? Is that the binding agent that is holding it together is the vehicle for that OTR and that elasticity? That's a great question. So the Diam technology is based on two main patents. The first one is the cleaning. Diam has been, and, and I believe is still the only company to really remove 150 different compounds from cork. So this Diam technology based on supercritical CO2 has the capacity to really, really remove more than TCA and really disinfect uh, the cork. So that's the first thing. Once the granulate is clean, we also have a technology to rebuild the cork and ensure that not only the cork is going to be elastic, but that elasticity is going to last over time. And for this, we always have three ingredients in a Diam cork. We have, um, we have cork, which is the vast majority of, uh, of the closure, I'd say about 95% of the volume. Then we have a binding agent that is here to, to hold everything together. And we have a third agent that can be a, a beeswax emulsion or plastic microspheres that are going to be here to fill up the gaps into the cork and avoids the moisture to, to penetrate into the cork. And this technology allows us to guarantee that no moisture is going to penetrate into the cork and that we are going to be able to keep that elasticity over time. And that is key in our value proposition. Any cork can measure an OTR, can measure an elasticity, but guaranteeing all this over time is the real challenge. And that's, that's what DM does. And there is, in our technology, I'm not going to go to too much details here today, but we can play on several factors to obtain different mechanical properties and different OTRs. And we are also a company that differentiate this. Our dream is to propose different mechanical properties for short aging, middle aging, long aging. And within those categories of aging capacity, several OTRs, because not all the wines have the same oxygen needs. So that's what we are proposing today. And to achieve that, yes, we play on the, on the quality of the grain, of the size of the grain, on obviously the formulation of the corks with the different ingredients. 
and also on the density of the cork, on the way we put them together and the pressure we apply. And with this, we can today do um, several, you know, range of uh, elasticity that's going to give you your aging potential and several oxygen transfer rates where you, you will be able to adapt to your wine. So maybe another way to ask a similar question in terms of about cost is really about the type of bottle that a DM cork is going on. Like what is the average retail price point or wholesale price point of a, of a bottle of wine that is using a DM closure? Because it sounds like there's a, a specific target market that you're going after uh, when, you're, when you're looking to get the product in the market. I'm not sure we're going to um, specifically after a target market, but cork is not uh, cheap. Just the raw material cork is an expensive material. Uh, remember, when you plant a tree, you have the first harvest after 30 years, and after that, you harvest every 10 years. It's not a cheap product. Cork has a value, and, and therefore, a cork product is going to have a certain price. So today, what we see is that with the guarantee that we are giving, the technology that we are applying, the, our production has a certain cost, and we are closing mainly all bottles of wine in the U.S. I'm talking U.S. specifically here. But everything over ten to twelve dollars today is is a candidate to um, to be closed with DM. So, in terms of someone who doesn't want TCA and wants controlled OTR, is Screwtop also the same? Give them the same kind of options that DM, or how would you differentiate those with a Screwtop? Well, obviously, I'm not a specialist about Screwtop, but obviously, there is a difference in marketing. The look is going to be totally different. And yes, screw top is a little different in my opinion. You know, a screw cap, uh, when you buy a screw cap, you buy an unfinished product. And the, the wine producer is going to finish the, the product on the bottle. And so in my opinion, the, uh, the, set, the setting up of the machine on, on the line for screw top is key. You know, pressure on the side, pressure on the top. And it, it's a very technical product. So I, th- I believe you can have very, very good results, but it is a very technical product. Yeah, and you would need a, a specific so volume to, be, to justify that cost. And what about for the cost associated with implementing DM in the bottling line? Is there anything different than running a regular punch cork that you would need to do or special handling that needs to happen when you're using a DM cork? No, no, there is no difference. There is a, there is a bottling norm, you know, about, about how, how the cork should be compressed before it enters the bottle. So all this is exactly the same. There is absolutely no difference between a DM and a, and a punch cork. It's even easier to use since, uh, since the DM corks are not going to be uh, sensitive to humidity. The storage before using is, is very uh, easy. We are, we're just fearing the recontamination since we are delivering to wineries the corks uh, with a guarantee of no contamination that we want to make sure this, this stays in the winery. So mainly avoid you know, humid atmosphere before corking, because that's that's going to um, to accelerate contamination. And after bottling, it's very easy. You can store your bottles upside down, laying, uh, or or even standing. Since the, the cork is not sensitive to humidity, it's very very easy to use, and it's not the the position of the bottle is not going to affect the the aging of the wine. So you mentioned some of the benefits to the winery, like you know, no bad bottles and the positive impact on branding. Are there other benefits of using DM and have you quantified the value to the winery of, of any of those? I think each, each winery is, uh, is able to quantify the, the value that is giving depending on, on the situation they start from and the situation they, uh, they reach. The, the, TCA, the TCA value, the non-TCA that I would call today non-contamination situation, of course, is a big, uh, is a big value uh, valuated. Today, our customers are mainly buying consistency. Consistency is really the key point today. Consistency in aging, 
each bottle is going to age at the same speed, and consistency in oxygen transfer. That's, that's really uh, consistency and choice. As soon as you have co something consistent, you can measure. You can make different offers, and you can choose. So that's, that's the main value proposition today that our customers are looking for. So consistency is the most important driver for your clients. Are there any others that they also consider as benefits of DM? Yeah, consistency is definitely number one today. No, no TCA, of course, is a, is, is a very big driver and, and choice. Choice is the third driver. Depending on, on how the winemaker makes his wine, is going to be able to choose the best evolution for the wine. You know, you have a wine very reductive. All right, you might, you might want a closure that's going to, to leave some oxygen going to avoid a, a too tight evolution. On the other side, if your wine is very sensitive to oxidation, you're going to be willing to close the bottles. And that is linked to how long you want your wine to age. If you want your wine to age 10 years or more, there is no way around a tight oxygen transfer. But it's also linked to the redox situation of your wine at bottling. You might want to open or close depending on your, on your wine. So how do you think about helping wineries think through how they would calculate the ROI or return on investment of DM versus choosing some other closure? Look at your claims. It's very easy. Bottle returns, claims, try to evaluate. You, you know that if you have uh, one bottle coming back, you might have had 10 bad bottles <laughs> that, that didn't come back. Try to evaluate all this depending also on your distribution channel. Uh, we know that if you sell everything at the uh, counter at, at your uh, tasting room, then you're going to see exactly what's wrong and how many bad balls you have. If you're selling through retail, it's a much much more difficult process and difficult exercise. But I think, um, yeah, that's the base of calculating your ROI is what's the situation you have today and, uh, and what is DM going to get you when you avoid all those claims and all those uh, bad evolutions of your balls. And of course, the... <laughs> The value of your brand and how your brand is going to be seen on the market is another one that is pretty difficult to calculate. But, but you're the specialist, Peter, on this. <laughs> it seems like grinding up the corks into smaller you know, fragments seems to be a more cost-efficient way to actually leverage cork as a product because obviously when you're punching cork, you can only get you know, so many of certain lengths or so much size. This allows you to, you know, to build many different shapes and sizes of corks than maybe punch corks couldn't deliver. How does that efficiency impact on the actual cost of the final product? Is it, I mean, obviously, you do a lot of things afterwards uh, through your processes, uh, processes to make the final DM cork. But I'm curious on how does that allow you to buy different parts of the cork tree that other people wouldn't use, or is that is that give you a, a significant savings? Yes, absolutely. We can basically we don't have to take care of the thickness, for example. You know, to punch a cork, you need to reach a certain thickness of your bark. Uh, so you have space to simply punch it. We can use uh, any thickness. We can use also the thinner uh, barks that uh, were previously used, for example, to do the the discs of the champagne corks. We can use all this. We can granulate everything. The efficiency, yes, is bigger. But uh, you have to keep in mind also that it's not about just granulating the whole thing and using it. After we granulate it, we have to remove all the woody parts. You know that on the on bark of a tree, on the outside of the tree, but also completely random inside, you're going to have lignin. And this lignin can be up to 20, 30, 40% of, the, of the, uh, the composition of the bark. So we, we need to remove all those lignins and keep only the suberine. You know, the tree is called Quercus suber. And the, uh, the elastic part, the honeycomb structure, is the suberine. So we only keep the suberine, and that's what we are going to, to clean. Only the suberine has this elasticity capacity that we're looking for. 
basically we remove all the lignin parts and those lignin we basically we burn them and we produce part of the energy we need for the for the process but yes there is there is a better efficiency and a better use of the material this impacts the cost but of course after that we have the we have the cleaning and we have the uh, the molding which is a pretty expensive technology a diam factory today we have uh, we are currently building the number 4 factory but a diam factory today costs around 30 million euro so it is a pretty intense process in terms of investment and in terms of working with the growers that have the oak trees does that change the dynamic because you don't need that same thickness that you can harvest it more frequently than 10 years or is that something that is you're still just harvesting on the same time frame because you're kind of grabbing from multiple sources yes exactly there's there's no difference in terms of, of harvest you know that the harvest is in the summer it's the only period of the year where the bark is going to come easily out of the tree the, the weather is something really, really important to, to have a, a good harvest. It's about, it's about how much you're going to remove from the tree, but it's about also how long you're able to, to harvest. If it starts raining, then, then the, um, the harvest is going to stop. We're buying from the same producers as everybody else, in the same time frame and with the same qualities. So on, on this, there is no difference. So you mentioned that TCA and, and eliminating it is one of the core values of DM. How important is it as one of the core values? And how does that change as the rest of the cork industry is saying that they've, quote unquote, solved for the TCA problem? Well, we, we strongly believe TCA is not the only problem. TCA is one of the molecules that is impacting. It's, it's the flagship of the molecules, I would say, because it's, it's the one that has the smallest threshold. You, you, can, you can feel a TCA in certain wines. Once again, it depends on the wine. Some more tannic wines are going to be, the threshold's going to be higher, but uh, you, you can feel TCA as, as low as one nanogram per liter. It's very, very, very small. But you have, you have a lot of other molecules, uh, TBA, PCA, PECA, all the anisoles, but also molecules like one of ten three all, which are the molecule for um, champignon, the mushroom taste, for example. So, if you want to reach a high level of, of um, neutrality, you need to remove much more than TCA. And we believe the uh, the Diam process today is still the, the only process really efficient to get something really close to neutral. So uh, the, uh, the the Diam value on that side is still very solid. And the uh, the the way the process works also ensures that it's going to happen each and every time. I mean, we've been selling corks for 20 years now with, with no, not one case of, uh, of TCA from the process. So that, that, is, that is a really, really strong value. And the, uh, the rest of the industry, especially with the punch corks, they've claimed that they've solved the TCA problem both in not harvesting the bottom part. There's different testing of individual corks to identify, which uh, at Costa Brown, we had some problems at, at one point buying those corks and not necessarily always being the case. But how does that impact your value proposition when you go to wineries? I'm not sure we really think our impact in terms of what the competition is doing. We, we've always had competition, and that's good. I mean, the, the cork industry overall is, is getting much and much better. You're, you're talking about sorting corks and testing them for TCA. I mean, uh, everybody can just be happy that, that the cork industry is getting better and the, and the TCA uh, is lower in, in the corks that are delivered on the market. But we, we don't believe sorting the corks is a, is a, is an efficient uh, is an efficient way of, of of solving problem. As long as you sort, you know you have to measure each cork and pass or no pass, and 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 you're not you're, you're not even uh, addressing at all the the structure problem and the inconsistency in structure in oxygen in aging. So we really don't don't see this this technology to be uh, 
any good for the future. So oxygen transfer rate or OTR is a crucial element of a closure. And I'm curious on how DM compares with other other closures. Obviously, we I'd love to talk about how it seems like there's a very much the DM isn't in line with with Burgundy producers as they suffered premox. A lot of producers switched over to DM corks, blaming the cork for some of the causes of premox. I'm curious on uh, how how should our listeners think about OTR for DM and how should they think and when they go to make that decision if they really want to control OTR, how should they think about DM versus other choices? DM has been very, very early on, on OTR, and that's just because of consistency. Once again, first, produce a consistent product, then you can measure. <laughs> because if it's not consistent, you can measure whatever you want. The neighbor cork is going to be different. So that's not something you can rely on. So first, get something consistent, then you can measure. And today, we uh, the DM proposition has four different levels of, of uh, OTR. And, and recently, we, we pushed the, um, the concept a little further because oxygen penetration in a bottle is not linear. If you think of OTR, you say, okay, over time, penetration of oxygen in the bottle should be aligned, should be linear over time. Well, it's not true. You, if you measure that, you see that there is much more oxygen going into the bottle at the beginning, and then it stabilizes. And that's what we call now OIR, oxygen initial release, which is the oxygen from inside the cork that's going into the bottle in the first six months. And then OTR, which is the oxygen transfer rate, that's the speed of oxidation over the years after that. So because of the consistency of our structure, first of all, DM can guarantee that both OIR and OTR are going to be um, consistent. So the choice that you are making is a choice of OIR in the first six months and OTR after that. And that has, that has interested a lot the winemakers because some wines, imagine a wine that you want to go for the long run 10 years, but you have to put it early on the market because you, you, you don't have the, the money to keep it two or three years in your cellar before releasing. Then it might be interesting to have a little higher OIR in the beginning. So your wine is, you know, quick, quickly ready to put on the market and then a slow OTR. So you have the long aging. So that type of thing, I think that Diam has really put the, uh, the oxygen control very high on these products. And the second thing I would like to mention is talking about OIR and OTR is nothing if you cannot guarantee that you can that you can have those uh, those measures stable over time. So when did DM start differentiating OTR and OIR to the consumers? Is that recent? Is the last ten years? No, that's that's about uh, three years ago. Three okay. Three years ago that we uh, and it was it was a piece of of luck basically we. Uh, we released uh, three years ago um, another line of product on the market, which was the it's the line Origine, where the, the ingredients that we are putting uh, in this in this cork are bio based, and we we built the cork in the, in the same way that the that the regular Diam corks with with an OTR and with an elasticity, and we put them in a bottle. And I remember the, the first tasting with David Ramey uh, a few years ago, and, and and bingo, after six months the wine evolution was different. We say, oh my gosh, what's going on? You know, we build those cores with the same elasticity, the same OTR, and after six months, we have different evolutions. And, and yes, we figured out that the OIR, the amount of oxygen that was in those corks, was different uh, if you use different consistency. And that's where we really started the research. We were, we're working today with um, most of the, um, the main university around the world with research programs. And that's where we, uh, we, we came up with this OIR and OTR. And it's important to measure those to have a consistent wine evolution. I am curious with all the work that you guys have done in Burgundy, are there examples mm-hmm. or cases of pre-mox 
wines under a DM cork, or is it like TCA that you've kind of eradicated? If someone's under a, a DM cork, you haven't seen examples of uh, Primox. Well, if that was the case, it would it would mean that the, the Primox problem was only a cork problem, which uh, I think now we have a consensus on the market that no, it's 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 a little more complicated than that. I'm not a Burgundy winemaker, so I'm not going to go into details on this. Is this ripeness? Is that the the technology uh, at harvest? Is that how you you treat your juice? Is that you know oxygen at every level of winemaking is important and is going to affect the the redox situation of your wine? But uh, definitely, what we saw is that using a tight closure on those Burgundy wines was helping. That is for sure, and you you can see today most of the Bur- of Burgundy today is on on Diam ten and Diam thirty for the wines that are going the long run. And that has helped for sure. Yeah. So Francois, outside of still wine, you also make corks for sparkling wine. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the value proposition for a sparkling wine producer using a DM cork versus a regular punch cork closure. Yeah. yeah. So the, 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 um, the sparkling cork is a little different animal because it's a, it's a much bigger diameter. Um, you know, a, re- a regular cork for a bottle of wine is around 24 millimeter diameter. Sparkling wine is going to be 30, 31. And so it makes it very, very difficult to punch it because you need a very thick bark of cork to be able to punch that. And the bigger you punch, the more inconsistent it's going to be. And so uh, a long time ago, the the, the, the uh, champagne of the sparkling corks went to uh, what we call a manche, which is an, an aglo part on the top. And you stick two discs of natural cork on the on the bottom, uh, the the part that's going to be in contact with the wine. And this way, you can punch those discs in in thin barks of of corks. And so you have to stick the, those discs of punch cork onto the the aglo part. And that makes it a cork that is difficult to control with the exact same problems as as a regular punch cork. You can have uh, you can have cork taint. You can have uh, differences in oxygen transfer, and you can also have dust, which is a problem because you're your sparkling cork is going to foam. So Diam is today producing a, a cork called Mythic, which is a one piece of cork, same structure as the other uh, Diam corks, and with bigger diameter. And this is this is going to have the same uh, advantages, very consistent, very uh, consistent also on the line. You can control your oxygen transfer, and very important, you control your mechanical property. Because a lot of um, a lot of research was done lately with the CIVC, uh, notably on how the oxygen is penetrating a bottle of sparkling wine. And you could think, oh, because there is pressure in the bottle of sparkling, it's going to be different. Well, in fact, no. Whatever the pressure, oxygen is going to penetrate in your bottle of wine because the wine is going to consume the oxygen within the bottle. And that creates a space with no oxygen. And the oxygen is going to to penetrate into the bottle by, by pressure difference, by potential difference. And we have demonstrated that whatever the pressure in the bottle, oxygen is penetrating. And today, same as for wine, Diam has three options of OTR that, uh, and OIR that we can propose to the market with consistent solutions. So yeah, we're growing very, very fast on the sparkling market. And as an example, what's your market penetration in a place like Champagne? Champagne today, we are, we're probably over 30% market share. And what about when bottles are in tirage as well? Is that an area that's starting to grow? Are you working with producers that are using cork for tirage? Yes, 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 yes. So that's uh, for producers using cork in tirage. Consistency is even more important. Imagine before disgorging, you have, you have to sniff each and every bottle, make sure it's not tainted. 
So it's very important for them to uh, to have a consistent solution with uh, with no taint and, and a regular oxygen. So we are we will be releasing next year the first tirage cork, uh, specially made for for tirage. So this has um, a big advantage, of course, in terms of consistency and TCA control. But also when you compare to a, a cap to a crown cap, you see that a crown cap is going to have a very consistent oxygen ingress throughout the aging. Surlet, uh, after, after tirage, the surlet aging is going to be consistent over time. With a cork, you're going back to your famous OIR and OTR with a bigger penetration of oxygen in, in the first few months and a stabilized OTR after that. So the, the, the cinetic of aging is going to be different. And that's kind of uh, very interesting because the CIVC has released an article a few months ago showing that the lines between the crone cap and a cork are crossing at about six years. So before six years, you will have more oxygen in your bottle with a cork. After six years, it's going to be the opposite. You're going to have less. So if you want a long uh, reductive aging, well, a tirage on cork might, might be a good idea. If you want an accelerated aging in the first year or two, well, cork might be also a good idea. So that opens new options. And I think uh, sparking producers are more and more interested by those solutions. Great. Thank you for those examples. So one of the things we learned from amarin corks is that natural corks can be a CO2 sink from a climate change perspective. And they calculate, I think, 562 grams of CO2 per stopper. Mm -hmm. How does DM compare with that? We're, we're in the middle of this right now because uh, rules are, are evolving. The, the negative impact of cork is in the forest. Why? Why is there a negative carbon footprint on cork? It's not because of, of cork manufacturing. This has nothing to do with cork manufacturing. It has to do with forests. There was a regulation a few years ago that came out that said, okay, any storage of CO2 that's going to be more than 100 years is going to be considered as a carbon sink. And yes, a cork tree lives more than 100 years, basically 150, 200 years. You can harvest you know, every, every 10 years. And so during that period, the tree is going to live, is going to take carbon from the atmosphere, and is going to store it into the soil. So yes, there is a very positive impact of the cork tree in terms of carbon storage. Whether you can uh, you can translate this this cork this CO2 storage in the cork manufacturing, Europe said no. The negative impact of uh, the cork forest has to stay at the forest level. You cannot you cannot claim it when you transfer. You cannot claim it when you're a wine producer. You cannot if everybody along the chain claims the natural the negative footprint. Then, then his head, this is absolutely no, it's not smart at all. I mean, there's, there's no sense. So I think rules in Europe have evolved. And today it is not possible to claim this negative carbon footprint in Europe for a cork. So yes, it is true for Diam, like for any, any other use of cork. Yes, the cork tree is storing CO2, but we have to be serious. And each company has to show its real carbon impact. So we do that exercise at YAM. Those, those documents are available and you can, you can see the, um, the carbon impact. But yes, for, for YAM or for any other use of the cork forest, yes. Any application that's going, to be, that's going to favor the cork forest has a positive carbon impact. You had mentioned earlier about discovering the, the oxygen transfer differentials between the binding agents being different because you made a bioproduct. I'm curious on what was the... the impetus for that move to bio-based product? Were you, was that feedback you were getting from your consumers? Yes, yes. We, we've always, since we have created this, this micro-agro product, I think we've, we've always had two discussions. The first was been the look. <laughs> you know, in the, in the past, a granulated structure was associated to low quality, and it, and it probably was because uh, 
because if you don't have technology, an, an aglocork, as I was saying, is always tainted and it's low elasticity. So this and is random in oxygen because you have it's full of holes. So that that was one of the first hurdles we've had, and we've worked on this developing a, you know tradition look and things like this. So the the look has always been a question. I think today we're we're past that. We've got enough high end producers now using Diam to to know that there is no look impact on the market. And the second was the the um, the ingredients. Since we we've been using uh, plastic based ingredients in Diam since the beginning, even if it's at low. Uh, low levels and even if we can give all the guarantees you know we went up to to getting a food contact notification for each of our ingredients so we're, we're very secure but still has always been a discussion so 10 years ago we started a, a research project to try to be more bio-based more more closer to nature and and that's the reason why we released the, the origin product on the market both the binder and the beeswax emulsion are bio-based and and this product is is growing very fast so it it answers a, a need I'm assuming there'd be less waste with because you're granulating the cork as well, and some more uh, that might be a selling point as well. That it's better for the environment, you're not really throwing parts away. We're not throwing anything away. Basically, we the, the whole cork that we get, uh, you know, part of it is used to produce energy. The other part is used to to produce the corks, but there is there is no waste. And the cork part, which is the main by far the main part, is, is the same whether you're you're talking about Diam or Origin. It's the same. Only the added ingredients are bio based. Got it. So to wrap up on a personal note, we are curious, Francois, what was the most memorable bottle of wine you've had in the last year and who did you drink it with? <laughs> hey, I, I would like to talk about last week. I was I was uh, traveling with, uh, with some uh, California wine producers uh, in France and we were, uh, we, we spent two days around Condrieux and uh, I'm going to talk about this bottle of Condrieux from uh, Jean-Francois Jacouton that we had, uh, that we had together last week. Uh, Perfect condition in the middle of the cellar. Uh, talking to Jean Francois and uh, and his wife, uh, we were we were all really and, and myself, of course, uh, stunned by by how fresh and crispy the wine was. Fantastic meat palette on on apricot and peaches. So a very very aromatic wines, uh, very very aromatic wine with with a great length. And, I mean, can only dream of a nice fish and a nice piece of cheese to go with it. It was it was a great great experience at uh, Jean Francois last week. Awesome! It sounds like uh, fresh in your mind. I love it. I'm so happy that you're able to travel again. I'm sure that was something that was uh, was killing you yeah, during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, finally, 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 we were back back in traveling. Yeah. Well, Francois, I want to thank you for your time. A uh, very insightful explaining uh, OTR OIR and how Dam is playing a leading role in this space for the wine industry. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. And don't forget, you can become a patron of X Chateau by visiting patreon.com slash X Chateau if you'd like to support us to continue delivering content that the wine industry needs. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.